In my Parsha share this past Sunday, I discussed an idea of the Arachayim, the Arachayim HaKadosh. The Arachayim says that Yosef, in this week's Parsha, and even more so in next week's Parsha, in Vayichi, he assured his brothers they had nothing to worry about, they shouldn't feel bad, even though they had intended to cause him terrible harm, it had all worked out for the best. So, no harm, no foul, bad intentions. At the end of the day, what they did to him was good. He, he ended up in a position of great power and great usefulness to the family, and therefore they shouldn't worry. Atem chashav t'malai ra, you intended evil, but Elokim chashav latova, Hashem made it work out. Hashem had a plan. It ended, out well. it ended up well. That was, that was God's plan for me, and therefore you don't need to worry that, that, you have, that I have any, you don't need to worry that you have any need for atonement or mechila or anything like that. We discussed in the share that many Akronim challenged the Arachayim. They say that's not usually the attitude of the Torah. A person intends to eat something non-kosher, like pig. He gets lucky. It turns out the food he thought was treif was really kosher. Needs a kapara. Needs a kapara. And we mentioned, in terms of civil liability, in terms of Choshen Mishpat, we mentioned... A couple of interesting tshuvas, one of which was from a sefer called Shailas Uchuvas Makar Chaim, discusses a case of a fellow who had contraband liquor in his shop, and someone came in and smashed the bottle, and the owner was all ready to sue him, but then shortly afterwards, and a government inspector came by looking for contraband bootleg liquor. Had he found the bottle, he would have for, he would have confiscated the bottle, and he would have been fined heavily. <clears throat> and he would have been sued in court. Uh, unpleasant consequences. Because this guy smashed his bottle, he had no other bottles of non-kosher liquor, he was saved everything except the loss of the bottle. So the question was, do we say the person who smashed the bottle has to pay for it? Because his act in and of itself was an act of hezek, he intended evil. Or do we say that he may not have intended this, but it all turned out for the best, it all turned out to he, he did a great service to the owner, so, so he doesn't have to pay anything to the owner. So we discussed that question in light of the Arachayim, in light of the story of Mechiras Yosef, and we, we, we considered the tshuva of the Makar Chaim. Now, I had never heard of the Sefer before. The, the Sefer was written by, was a, it's a small Sefer, it's only 90 pages or so, by a Rav in Vilna, about a century, a century and a half ago. He was uh, not, not the most, Vilna was the city of famous Rabbanim, he's not the most famous to them, but he was a distinguished Rav in Vilna, apparently, he has Haskamas from Rav Shlomo HaKohen, the, the, the great Rav Shlomo Vilna, Rav Shlomo the great Vilna Dayan, who corresponded with him on this matter of the, the smashed liquor bottle, the Stechemed, other Rabbanim. And he, he, he was a, the Sefer is, is short but interesting. As I was preparing for the share tonight, I figured I would look at the Sefer, and sure enough, I found that his Sefer is chock full of in its mere 90 pages, is chock full of interesting tshuvas, particularly in the area of Choshen Mishpat. So we're going to discuss another one of his tshuvas tonight, a different tshuva. Actually, we're going to discuss a tshuva which has a very neat symmetry with the one I discussed on Sunday. On Sunday, I discussed the case of the smashed liquor bottle in which the mazik, the person who broke it, may have had bad intentions. He intended to, uh, to smash the bottle, or at the very least, he was careless. But in, uh, at the end of the day... When we look at the broader picture, it actually was a good thing that he did. He actually benefited his uh, ostensible victim. He actually benefited the, the, the person whose bottle he broke. The tshuva we're going to discuss tonight is 
the opposite case, where someone intended to help somebody else, but as it turned out, he actually caused him substantial harm. So, in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the Tshuva we taught Sunday, his intentions were bad, but the outcome was good. The, the case we discussed tonight is the reverse case, his intentions were good, but the outcome is bad. Is he chayev or pater? We discussed a similar set of situations a number of years ago, about five years ago. We discussed a number of chuvos of classic Svardim Poskim from three and four hundred years ago, dealing with cases of someone, an agent, a shomer, a business agent, a shliach. You know, in the old days, before they had phones, you couldn't, you couldn't just ask the, the principal always right away, what do you want me to do in this situation? You have to make judgment calls. You, you were the man on the spot. You, would, you, were, you were managing his affairs. You had to make a call sometimes, not a phone call, a, a judgment call, as to what the right thing to do in a certain situation is. So a number of Sephardic Poskim, many Sephardic Poskim, discuss what happens if a shomer, a guardian, a business agent, a shliach of some sort, he makes a decision with regard to the merchandise that turns out bad, but he said he had good intentions. He was trying to help. In his judgment, this was the best thing to do. He, he, he had limited options, and he felt, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, he realizes he made the wrong decision. Had, had he done something else, the merchandise would have been okay. But he didn't know that, and, uh, and, and, and from his perspective, from where he stood, he thought this was the most logical thing to do. Objectively, it wasn't. It goes against, let's say, the standard, the standard best practices that we, that we typically prescribe. But he says, I was the man on the spot. I have to make a judgment call. In my judgment, this was the right thing to do. The, one of the cases we discussed was the case of the Dvar Moshe, or Moshe Amarillo. He discusses a case where, where, the, where the, the, owner, the owner had warned his agent, do not put the merchandise on a French flag ship because the French are at war with the English, as they often are, and Britannia rules the waves, and it's not safe to ship merchandise in a French flag ship because it risks losing it to British, to British uh, forces. The, the merchant ignored that instruction, and he put it on a French ship anyway, and when he was asked to explain himself, he said, I had no choice. There, there were no English ships around. The alternative would have been, the alternative would have been to, uh, he, said, he says, that he says the, the, the alternative would have been to, um, you know, the, 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 the alternative would not have been good, he said, because because he says that, 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 that given his options, given, given the limited options, he says that given, given the limited options that were available to him, he thought this was, uh, this was the best choice. There were no English ships in the area, he says. He says, the, um, so it was a judgment call. He thought this was the right thing to do. We discussed you know, similar cases in the Svardic literature. So we're going to discuss tonight a case of the Makar Chaim, Rav Chaim Segalowitz, He's going to discuss a similar situation of uh, someone who did not do what he was supposed to do, or, well, we'll see. He's someone who did something that, in hindsight, turned out to have been a big mistake. His defense was, I meant well. Let's read the case. He begins his tshuva, as well as the tshuva I discussed on Sunday, as well as pretty much all his tshuvas in Chosh Mishpah, with the phrase, Heich na'agu b'yomim Talmud. Disclaimer, this is... Theoretical only, we don't practice this Bismana Zev. We're discussing what they used to do in, in ancient times in the Zmana Talmud. The reason he writes this, of course, is for fear of the censor. The Europeans got very touchy if we decided we were going to have our own system of civil law, our own Bate Din. 
So the many svarim, when they discuss Choshen Mishpat, they say, you know, today we just follow the law, but this is what we used to do when we had sovereignty. Whether they really meant this, or whether he was just saying it as a, as a fig leaf for the, for the censor, I suspect it was only a fig leaf. But uh, more so than most svarim, he, he, a, lot of, a lot of svarim prefaced sensitive tshuvas, like about the, the cherem, nidoy, excommunication, which was very sensitive. Government didn't like Jews using the cherem because it was, they felt it was competing for state authority. But ordinary civil law wasn't usually perceived as such a sensitive thing. But he was ex- extraordinarily sensitive, apparently. All his tshuvas on Chosh Mishpat all begin with a disclaimer. This is only theoretical, of historical interest, what the, what the halacha would have been with Manat Talmud. But it's pretty clear you know, that, that he thinks this is, he's actually discussing the halacha. I doubt very much that he really thought this did not apply with Manazet. But anyway, this is Vamita Shal Torah. He wants to know what is Din Torah in the following situation. Maisa Shahaya. He says, a certain man lived in the, in the territory of a certain nobleman, a certain, a certain adon, a certain, a certain uh, tsar of some sort. He was uh, a serf or some kind of, uh, some kind of tenant of, the, of, this, of this nobleman. And there was a fire in the area in which, in which he rented, and allegations were made, possibly libelous allegations, but allegations were made that the fire was this Jew's fault. And his landlord was going to throw him out and sue him, and he was going to get in big trouble. He was forced to settle and to agree to pay, to, to pay a large sum of money, 300 rubles, to the, the nobleman, the landlord. And he gave him a, a month to pay. He said, you have a month to pay me 300 rubles, that's our deal. Within that month, the, the, the non-Jewish landlord, the, 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 the nobleman, the landlord, died and was succeeded by his son. Now, the Jew, who was on the hook for 300 rubles, he thought he had an opportunity now. He had a friend, a good friend, a trustworthy friend, who was apparently friendly with the son of the nobleman, the new nobleman. So, I don't know if he thought he had a, he had a solution, but his friend thought he had a solution. The friend decided to help out his friend. He said, look, he thought to himself, look, my friend is on the hook for 300 rubles. I know the, I know the new nobleman. He, I have access to him. He listens to me. I'll go and I'll try to uh, bargain him down. I'll try to, uh, I'll, I'll try to get him to, you know, to waive this debt. He didn't realize that the son of the nobleman had, didn't even know about this debt. He, he, he wasn't apparently up on all his father's affairs. So when he walked into the nobleman, the new nobleman, the son, he said, oh, I wasn't even aware that he owed me 300 rubles. Thank you for telling me. Because you're my friend, I'll knock off 100, and I'll send him a bill for 200. So he billed the, the, the Jew for 200. And now the Jew was very unhappy. He said, my friend, I understand that, you were, uh, that you, were, you, you were full of good intentions, but you just cost me 200 rubles. Had you not meddled in my affairs, I, mean, I never, he never, never, he never asked me whether you should do that. Had you not meddled in my affairs, the son wouldn't have known anything about this, and I could have just walked away from the whole thing. It's your fault. Yes, I mean, you got, you got me off 30, 30%, but the other 200 I'm on the hook for, and I wouldn't have been had not for your meddling. I want you to pay me the 200 zuz. No good deed goes unpunished. His friend was just trying to help, but his friend got him in, uh, in trouble, and he says, I want you to pay me 200 rubles. That was the Shaila that Rabbi Segalowitz, the Makar Chaim, is discussing. Now again, so the, the first question, which he doesn't really enter into, into that much detail, is is this a legitimate obligation that he owes the nobleman, the nobleman's son? Does he really owe him this money or not? 
Is he actually guilty of causing the fire? Does he actually have a legitimate legal obligation? Or is this just extortion by, by, by some uh, powerful uh, European nobleman against a hapless, uh, underprivileged tenant? Not clear. I, one suspects from the tshuva that this was considered extortion just because he had no choice but to agree to pay at the threat of expulsion. That's not really a legitimate claim. He denied that he had caused the fire, presumably. So he's, he's pretty vague on this question. But let's assume, keep things simple, let's assume that Alpidin, he really had no responsibility to pay this money. The fact that he was being forced to pay even 200 rubles of it was just uh, an unfair charge, and his friend unwittingly caused it. So that's the question. Is his friend liable to him? So again, it's, you know, the friend is probably indignant. I was just trying to help. I was doing you a favor. I was just trying to help you, and now you're sending me a bill. He says, yeah, well, it's your fault. I, I wouldn't be paying these 200 rubles if you hadn't meddled in my affairs. So that, that's the question that the Makar Chaim deals with for the bulk of his tshuva. Someone caused somebody else harm, unknowingly, unwittingly. There is a rule, he's going to discuss later in the tshuva, there is, as he discusses right at the beginning of the tshuva, there is a rule, Adamuad La'olam. When it comes to liability for harm that a person causes, unlike certain other aspects of halacha, where we say you need negligence, like a shomer, someone who is a, a custodian of property, he's only chayev, if, in most cases, he's only chayev if he had some level of negligence. But, pshia. But, if a person causes damage directly, we say, even when there's no negligence, he's chayev. So, on the one hand, there's a very low standard to be chayev when you cause somebody damage. On the other hand, that's when your kavana was neutral. You might not have been negligent, but, but still, you didn't have good intentions. Here, he was, he was consciously and explicitly trying to help his victim, Maybe we don't say Ademud Laolam. Maybe maybe you should be I was trying to help. Maybe you should be Potter. That's his Shiloh. Tsarachi and Badin Zaharbe, he writes. He says he was trying to help. Maybe you don't say Ademud Laolam. Maybe you say that when you're trying to help, he says you are Potter. So he brings he then proceeds throughout the Chuva to bring several arguments and counter arguments in both directions. He begins by bringing an interesting tosis. Tosus is going in Bavakama, the beginning of the sixth parak. The, the Gemara talks about a case of somebody, there's a fire raging, and the fire is the fire was set by somebody, and the fire is now going to consume the property of some victim, in which case the person who set the fire would be Chayev, a person's Chayev for, for, for not properly securing his fires. So the, at this point, the mazik, the person who lit the fire, is going to be chayev. Someone came along, now a third party came along, and took the, the, took the, the property of the victim before it was burned, and he covered it with other things. He put a tarp on top of it, he, he covered it with something else. The halacha is, a curious halacha, a strange halacha, a person who lights a fire is not chayev for anything that the fire consumes, for any items that were covered by something else. That's called tamun, Tamun means hidden. Anything, any, any property of the victim that was covered by something else, the person who lit the fire is not chayev. It's not clear why, but that's Xeris Akasim, we dash from Sukkim, that the, it says uh, that, it, that the fire consumes kama, standing grain. Kama is typically open, is, is exposed to, the, to, to, to view. Anything that's covered by something else, you are not chayev. So this person, by covering up the victim's grain, he caused the mazik to be potter. Had he left the grain where it was and the fire continued on its way and burned it down, 
while it was still open grain, then the, then the person who set the fire would be chayev. Now that this third party meddled and covered the grain, the mazik is off the hook, and the victim is, is unable to sue the mazik. So the Gemara says, the person who covered the grain, he's chayev. It's only a grama, it's only indirect damage, so he's not chayev b'dine adam, he's not chayev in a way that's enforceable and based in, but he's chayev b'dine shemayim. He has a formally recognized moral obligation to pay, he's expected to pay, even if Basin can't enforce him to, can't force him to pay. That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, of course, uh, that they, what, is there a, what, what's the chiddush in that? Well, why, what, why is that even a chiddush? So the Gemara says, it is a, it is a particular chiddush, because <coughs> the person who covered the grain can say, I was trying to help you. I was trying to cover your grain to shield it from the fire. I was hoping it wouldn't get burned. I meant well. I had good intentions. And I should not be chayv, even b'dine shemayim. Kamash Malon is chayv anyway. So, the way the Gemara explains, the person covered the grain, he actually wound up causing harm because he caused the victim to be unable to sue the mazik. He may claim he had good intentions, he was trying to save the grain from getting burned at all, but he's chayv anyway. Tosus comments on that. Why is that? Tosus explains. Tosus explains, it's not that we don't believe him. We do believe him. When he, when he's, the, the Gemara is not clear whether we believe him or not. Tosa says, we do believe him. We believe him that he was trying to save the grain. He's miscaving Latova. He's trying to save the grain from getting burned. Nevertheless, he's chayev anyway. Should have been more careful. Having good intentions is not sufficient. It's not a sufficient defense against the claim of Hezek. If your actions are, ult- are ultimately deemed to have been irresponsible, you are chayev, even though you intended to help the, the victim rather than harm him. So, that seems to be exactly our question. Rabbi Segalowitz says that we have, we have a Tosis who says that, 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 if, that we have a Tosis who says that even though your intentions were good, if objectively what you did was bad, you are chayev, that's Adam Wood La'olam. The fact that you meant well, in, in, in some jurisdictions they have good Samaritan laws. That, that, that I think these, these laws address exactly this situation, that if a person is trying to help and something goes wrong, he's not chayev, because otherwise it'll discourage anyone from offering help. But the Tosa seems to be claiming no such thing, even though the person was genuinely or legitimately intending to help. He was Niskavin Latova. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if we can say what you did was irresponsible, you are Chayev. It doesn't matter. You're Chayev anyway. That is what Tosa says. He brings, the Chayim brings a similar, a similar holding from the Nesivus Amishpat, one of the Achronim. Nesivus Amishpat talks about a case of Someone who, someone who buried someone else's property, he went to someone else's property and he buried it underground. He, uh, he went to someone else's property and he hid it, he buried it under the ground. The, and, then he forgot, and, 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 and then he forgot where he put it. The case is, that, that if, 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 hypothetical case, not a case in the Gemara, he says if Reuven would go to Shimon's house, take his money, and buried underground. Chazal considered burying things to be the most secure form of shmira. A shomer, a custodian, is expect, depends what, but when it comes to cash, small and high-value high value objects, the, the custodian is expected to bury them. That was considered the safest place to store valuable objects, and a shomer has to do that. So if Reuven goes to Shimon and buries it, uh, and, and, and buries, uh, buries Shimon's property, and then forgets where he put them, he's chayef. Even though he apparently was in Skavin Latova, even though he meant well, he was trying to keep Shimon's property safe. Who asked you to do that? You weren't authorized to do that. 
the end of the day, it was a bad decision because you forgot where you put it. The end of the day, you caused Shimon a loss, even though you meant well. That does not matter. You are you are chayev anyway. That is the that's in the sevus. So that is his second proof that again, it doesn't matter what your intentions were. You're a good person. You meant well. At the end of the day, your actions objectively were the cause of harm to the victim, even though you meant well. You are still chayev. Then, however, he turns around and he brings a proof from a Mishnah, not really explicit in the Mishnah, but a proof from a Mishnah, as understood, as apparently understood by some of the poskim, that if you have good intentions, you're actually putter. The, the Mishnah says as follows. The, 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 the Mishnah says, in Bhagavatia this time, the Mishnah says that if someone gives a barrel to his friend to watch, he makes his friend a custodian over his barrel. So, the, the mission discusses what happens if the custodian is moving the, bar, the barrel around and it gets smashed in the course of being moved. So, the mission says it depends why he's moving it. If he's moving it for his own purposes, then he has no particular justification for doing that, and he's chayef. But if he moved it for the sake of the barrel, then he is potter. What does that mean, the sake of the barrel? So, Rabbi Sigalowit says, he brings the smah, who brings Rashi, what does it mean, the sake of the barrel? It means... The barrel was in a precarious place. He, he came home to his house. He saw there was something wrong with the barrel. The barrel looks like it might uh, fall or something might go wrong. So he moves it. He moves it. He moves it to a safer place. That's where the Mishnah says that he's potter because he, he's potter because he, because, because he was doing it not for his own purposes. He was doing it for the sake of the barrel. So if it broke, he's potter. Is that talking about where it broke, Bipshia, with negligence or not? Says Rabbi Sigalowitz, yes, he says the implication of the Mishnah, the implication of the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah, is that even if it broke the Pshia, even if you were negligent in handling the barrel, since you were, since you, 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 since, since you meant well, you were intending to, to help him, you were intending to, uh, to, to save the barrel, even if you slipped up and you negligently smashed the barrel, you are putter, a very big Chiddush. That, yeah, you meant well, but who asked you to be negligent? That, that, that was not called for. But somehow, Rabbi Segalowitz feels that this is the, this is the opposite of the Nesivas and Tosis. The mission is telling us if the person is doing, is doing what he thought was good for the barrel, even though we can point out in hindsight it was actually Pshia, it was actually, actually negligence, therefore he is Potter because he was trying to help. He, that, that, that as long as he was engaged, actively engaged in trying to benefit and help the owner, he's putter for his pshia. And then he says, that's what he thinks is logical, he says. That's, that's what he thinks is more plausible than Tosis, he says, and then the Sivas. I don't understand Tosis, he says. Just in terms of pure svar, in terms of pure fairness. Is that logical, he says? If someone is trying to help somebody else and it turned out that it was bad, he's chayev, even with the Nishamayim. Rachman Ultimately, Hashem cares about the heart. We started by discussing the, the reverse case, where the person had bad intentions, but it worked out it worked out for the best. This is the reverse case. The person had good intentions. Or that, uh, that uh, the, all Hashem wants is that, you know, I keep thinking of the Baruch Levine song about, put forth your, your best in every test. That's all Hashem requests. And that, that's what Hashem wants. All you can do is try. So he says, if you were doing the best you could, then, uh, again, I'm not sure what this means, it was the best you could. If you're Pasheya, that means in some sense it wasn't the best you, that you could. You, you were also negligent. So I'm not sure exactly what the facts were, but at least in the, in the case we started with, the case of the fellow who tried to help his friend by appealing to the, 
to the nobleman. In that case, he had every reason to believe the nobleman already knew about it. It never occurred to him the nobleman didn't know about his father, the, the death of the Stella Ode. He knew about it. So he, I guess he assumed the, the, the new nobleman knew about it as well. He meant well. Rahman Alibabai, he says. And furthermore, pragmatically, he says that if you do hold him liable, it's like the Good Samaritan laws. You're going to very much disincentivize people who are trying to help. If everyone knows that, that they're opening themselves to all kinds of liability, if they try to help and something goes wrong, they, uh, they, they're open to liability, they're not going to want to help. We have this sometimes with... Uh, we, we have this sometimes... I, my wife worries about this sometimes. Occasionally we have a minor, a minor medical issue. We're trying to decide whether we need to go to the hospital or the emergency room. So there are various doctors in the neighborhood with whom we're friendly. So some of them are, are very happy to help us out and take a look and say, uh, you know, let, let me take a look. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can recommend. Some of them will not do that. They, 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 they're adamant about not practicing outside their professional context. I think the reason is they're worried about getting sued if something goes wrong. If, uh, of course, they want to do chesed, but they're concerned, I think, with... Uh, with the out, outside of work, they don't have malpractice insurance or whatever it is, and they're, there, and they're worried about the consequences. So, says Rabbi Sigalowitz, if the, if the, if the, I'm very grateful, of course, to those doctors who are, who are, who are, who are not concerned about that, who provided us a tremendous, uh, tremendous help, a tremendously gracious chesed, but, you know, I, I can understand the positions of people on both sides. And that's what Mr. Galowitz is saying. If we're going to go around holding people liable when they were just trying to help, if we're going to say, if something goes wrong, you're liable, that's going to be a major disincentive in anyone trying to, to do chesed, anyone trying to help. It's not logical, he said. It's not fair. Rahman Alibabai. It's not a good policy, he says, from a public policy perspective. Tinel Delis with Naose Tova. And then he starts bringing interesting, uh, interesting, uh, interesting precedents for this from Chumash. He says... Reuven, back in Pashas Ve'eshev, Reuven said, let's not kill Yosef, let's throw him into a pit. Didn't work out so well for Yosef, at least not originally. Again, we said before, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, it worked out very well. Yosef became the Mishnah Lamelech. But initially, it didn't work out so well, Reuven got sold. So would Reuven have been liable at that point for, 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 for causing Yosef to get sold? You can argue that it was the lesser of two evils, otherwise he just would have been killed. He would have had his throat cut, so it was being sold is still better than being killed. So even if, Reuven, even if we view Reuven as the cause of Mechiras Yosef, at the end of the day, it, 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 was still, uh, it was still the lesser of two evils. But he says, no, Reuven did well. Reuven, Reuven was trying to save Yosef. The Torah says, Laman hatzilo miyadam. Reuven was planning on saving him, even though it didn't work out like that, because, the, because Reuven had planned on coming back and retrieving him from the pit. The brothers sold him before Reuven could get there. But Reuven meant well. It doesn't matter, he says, what the outcome was. Reuven meant well, and that's all that counts. Reuven meant well, and we don't blame him for Mechiras Yosef. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Akoin, Moshe's brother, he made the egel. He said, give me the gold, and he, and he put it into the fire, and egel came out. He meant well. The Psukim, the, 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 the Midrashim explained, he was trying to stall them, he was hoping that it, it, it would cause a lot of delay. At the end of the day, it did not work out well. At the end of the day, they, 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 they made the egel with great alacrity, and they started worshipping it. So Aaron's plan did not work out. If anything, Aaron was actually the cause of the eagle. But Aaron meant well. Aaron had been hoping, had been planning to delay and cause the eagle not to be made, according to at least some interpretations. So Aaron is, Aaron is praised. Lo matzinu bo shumchet. Aaron is not blamed for the eagle. There are some adrashim that Aaron was blamed for the eagle, that Aaron still felt guilty in Pasha Shmini. Ibn Ezra has a lengthy discussion trying to, trying to understand how could Aaron have done this? How could he worship Abba Dazari, even if it meant giving up his life? 
But okay, but says Rabbi Segalowitz, Aaron we don't find is blamed. Aaron meant well, even though his plan backfired and, and it resulted in him being the one to fashion the Egel, he meant well, and that's what counts. Okay. So, says Rabbi Segalowitz, in my opinion, that is the halacha. In my opinion, if someone means well, even though his activities backfired and it caused harm, he is potter. Even Medina Shemayim, he has no moral responsibility. If the person who covered up the grain genuinely meant well, even though it worked out not well, doesn't matter. He meant well, and he learns Zimar differently, but he says that ultimately what we care about is your intention. If your intention was good, even if you actually wound up causing harm, if you legitimately meant well, we are not going to hold you chayef. Now, so what does that mean, halakha lamaisa, in his case? Again, his case was the fellow owed the, owed the, the father nobleman money, the father nobleman died. The son did not know about the debt, so the so the, the, the so the Jew could have gotten away without paying it. It turned out that the, that his friend his friend didn't realize this. His friend was trying to help him. His friend that 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 that, that his friend was trying to help him and and and, and appeal to the fellow. Tried to negotiate uh, to get a reduction. He got a reduction, but he also told the son about the debt in the first place. The son hadn't known about it. So he got it reduced from 300, but otherwise it would have been zero. So he thought he was doing him a favor. It turned out he actually caused him substantial harm. So Rabbi Segalowitz writes as follows. He says, in this case, what kind of mazik are we talking about? This is called mazik of grama, indirect harm. In particular, this is called mazik bidina de garmi. It's a kind of indirect harm, which is severe enough, direct enough, it's close to being direct harm, so we are, we were chayev, we're chayev anyway. A certain subcategory of grama called dina de garmi, for which a person is chayev, even bedine adam. That's the hazakir. By, by telling the, the son about the, the affair that his father was involved in, he wound up enabling the son to, to collect the money from the Jew. Now, dina de garmi is a major machlokas, a poskim. The poskim struggle to explain when we do say dina de garmi, when we don't say dina de garmi. The shach's position is, based on Rishonim, some Rishonim, is that it's a knas. It's, uh, the, the, the Rishonim struggle to find consistent, logical, legalistic rules to explain what cases are called garmi, what cases are not called garmi. The, the Rishonim have a very hard time finding a satisfactory legal distinction. Some Rishonim throw up their hands and say there is no distinction. It's just, uh, it was just a pragmatic set of takanas, Chazal felt that certain types of indirect harm were problems that were, pro- were frequent problems and, and needed to be... Uh, needed to be penalized because people were, were, were guilty of doing them too often. There's nothing particularly conceptually different about them. They were just a, a subcategory of cases which were particularly frequent, particularly problematic, so Chazal made, made penalties for, for doing them. So according to the Shach, it's only a knas of the Rabbanan. Then he thinks it is Pashut that in our case, you're Pashut. He's a Shogig. He meant well. Certainly, if it's only a knast, if, 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 if it's meikir adin, we could say adin mod laola. Maybe it doesn't matter what your intentions were. We said before, not like that. But they're the, they're this basis to, to to raise the question. But certainly, if it's only a knast, he said the whole definition of knast. We only make a knast for people who do things wrong deliberately. If you're a shogeg and you're you're kavanah you meant well. Certainly, he thinks the the logical the logical position is there's no knast on somebody who meant well, who had good intentions. According to the postkin that, that it is derisive, though that it's not a knas, then, then there, there's basis to say Yechayev. Or in a case where it's mazik mamish, like, 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 like let's say similar to the case in the Mishnah, he says, let's say I'm walking by your house, 
and I see something that looks like it's teetering, it's not steady. So I go ahead and I try to, uh, I try to, I try to stabilize it. I see something that looks like it's falling. I try to stabilize it. I wind up being the one to, to cause it to fall. I, I see something shaky. I run over to it. I, I grab it. And instead, I'm the one who knocks it over the edge. I, I was trying to... It happens all the time. You know, people, are, people mean well. They, they mean to do good. They actually are the ones who make things worse. So what happens in the, that's not grama, that, that's mazik mamash. If, if, you, if you picked it up and handled it and tried to stabilize it and you couldn't, then that, that, that's mazik mamash, that's not grama. So he says, what happens then? What happens in such a case, he says, are you, this, this is ultimately what, what we've been discussing throughout this tshuva. In such a case, are you, are you patur or So he says, he says, it's a, it's a real question. He says, we, we had those conflicting arguments. We had Tosus and the Nesivas who say Chayev. We had the Mishnah that seems to imply that you're Potter. The Mishnah himself, he says, is not an absolute proof, he says, because the Mishnah is talking about a Shomer. The Mishnah was talking about someone, was, someone had custody of someone else's barrel. Yes, he saw the barrel was needed to be stabilized, and he went to stabilize it. He had Kavan Latova. That's his job. He's supposed to do that. He has to do that. So, therefore, we can't penalize him if something goes wrong, as we said before. But an Inish Alma, a good Samaritan who has no relationship with the property owner, even though we said before that we'd like to not be Noel Delas, we'd like to encourage this behavior. On the other hand, nobody asked him to do it. He doesn't have any relationship with the victim to do favors. We have no, uh, you know, nobody asked him to do it. Maybe he's Chayef. So he's still going back and forth, saying, bringing arguments both ways. He says, one final suggestion, he says, that, that he argues you should be Pater is from a curious Gemara. The Gemara says, the Gemara in Bavakama, the Mishnah of the Gemara, establishes a general principle that when, when, when people are going around, walking in the street, running in the street, driving in the street, Mishnah doesn't talk about driving, but contemporary postkim try to apply these rules to driving. So if two people have a collision, and we're not sure who to blame, you know, there, there was no obvious negligence, nobody ran a red light or anything, two people collide, and, 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 and there's no clear way to identify fault. So what, what's the halacha? So the Mishnah says a rule, the Mishnah distinguishes between shneim berushus, shneim shalobrushus, between cases where they're both equal, they're either they're both behaving properly in the Rishus Rabbim, they're both walking at a normal pace, or they're both running, a person has no right to run in the Rishus Rabbim, it's not safe. So if both of them are running, or both of them are walking, they're equal, there's one set of halachas. However, if, if one is running and one is walking, then the one who's berushus, is Potter, and the one who's Shalobrishus, who's running, is Chayev. The obvious application to this is speeding. If there are two cars, and one of them is speeding, and one is not, and one runs a red light, and one is not, then, the, then applying the principles of the Gemara would be the one who's violating the traffic laws is Shalobrishus, and he's automatically going to be the one to, upon whom we put the burden of blame, the, we, we blame and the one, the one who's liable. Again, the, the, the actual, what these actual rules mean, and their implications for modern car accidents are quite complicated, then I'm not going to get into this too deeply, but the point is the, the Mishnah and the Gemara have two categories of brushus and shalobrushus, where if you're shalobrushus, potentially your liability is much greater than if you're brushus. And the Gemara says a curious thing. The Gemara says even though running brushus arabim is normally shalobrushus, a person normally is not authorized to run to speed, so to speak, in brushus arabim. On erev Shabbos, you're potter. If you're running on erev Shabbos, there you have brushus. Brushus mitzvah abed erev Shabbos. Chazal understood there's a need for speed, there's a need to be extra, people are, 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 are under the wire, they have deadlines, there's a need to be uh, extra frenetic on Arab Shabbos, therefore Arab Shabbos you can run. Arab Shabbos, they relax the rules 
of, I mean, obviously, people running is not as dangerous as cars. I'm not, I'm not sure they would have allowed cars to speed, but at least pedestrians, they allowed them to be a little, uh, a little wilder, a little less sedate on Arab Shabbos because of the need to get things done before Shabbos. Says the Mekar Chaim, we can apply a similar principle here as well. The person who was trying to help his friend is mitzvahu lasas tova lachavero. He meant well, he was intending to help his friend, and therefore he thinks he should be potter. So at the end of the day, he has all these riots and arguments back and forth. Again, the basic question, he meant well, he had good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. No good deed goes unpunished. But the, at the end of the day, we have arguments both ways. We have precedents both ways. At the end of the day, he feels that back to his intuitive position, it's hard to blame someone who was trying to do the right thing. If he, was, if he was trying to do the right thing and didn't do anything, certainly if he didn't do anything grossly negligent, like in our case, he, even though he caused harm, he meant well, he was trying to help, and he is potter, that is what he thinks the halacha is. I just want to conclude with a couple of cases, modern cases, that are somewhat related to this, perhaps. Both of them involve Yitzchak Zilberstein. One of them, I heard from my son, I think learned it in school, there was a case where somebody passed by a building and he saw, from one of the upper floors of the building, he saw smoke. And he saw someone gesticulating from up there near the smoke. So he thought there was a fire. So we called the fire department. Turned out the fellow was having a barbecue. Not sure what the gesticulations were about. It was Okay, so the, the, the Simcha says the smoke was just to, the, 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 the gesticulating was just to wave the smoke out of the building, to direct the smoke wherever he wanted it to go, but there was no fire, there was no danger, everything was under control. The fire department was, was billing, apparently, for having come down. The question was, who pays the bill? Depends. Two questions. Anybody, there are three possibilities. Either the fire department eats the loss, or the, or the, the person who called the fire department has to pay, or the, the person who made the fire has to pay. I'm not sure what Zilberstein said, but one of the key core arguments is the same one in our case as well, that the person who called the fire department says, look, I, I, I was trying to help. I thought there was a fire. What am I supposed to do? I, I don't have time to sit here and philosophize over whether there's a fire. There's a fire there. People can get killed. I have to call the fire department as soon as I could. I, my kavana was Latova, even if in hindsight I was wrong, but I, I meant well. Can you be of me for meaning what? So that, 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 that's one of the arguments for holding, for holding him not liable. And I found a similar case I saw years ago also involving Rav Zilberstein, in the Sefer, in the Sefer Shimru Mishpat by Rabbi Shlomo Zafrani, a prominent Dayan in Eretz Yisrael, a great Sefer full of, full of uh, great, fascinating cases, very lucidly and uh, eruditely discussed. He talks about a, an even more exotic version of this case. He says, someone has, um, someone has some kind of circulatory disease that occasionally he, uh, occasionally he, blood vessels burst and he starts to bleed. It looks quite serious to someone who doesn't know his condition, but he knows that uh, it's not harmful. It looks worse than it is. He gets his condition. Sometimes he just gets this bleeding, but it's, you know, it's, it's annoying, I guess, but he, it's not really serious. He doesn't really require medical attention. And uh, this fellow was once in a public place in a mikvah. He had one of these attacks, one of these incidents. People nearby thought that he was, that, that he needed immediate medical attention. He said, no, no, I know, it's, it's, it's under control, I, I have my bandages, it, it, it's, it looks worse than it is, I don't, I don't require medical attention, I can take care of this, you know, don't worry, I'm, I'm fine. They didn't believe him, they, they said, look at you, you're, uh, 
it, it's like that commercial about uh, they're trying to warn you to, to take care of your heart. So they show a guy in an office, everyone's going around doing office stuff, and one guy's uh, hair is on fire. So the workers are all like, your hair's on fire. He's like, no, no, everything's fine, it's okay. He's like, calm down, everything's under control. Like, your hair is on fire, do something about it. Like, no, everything is fine. He goes back to typing his spreadsheet or whatever. And then the voice, then the, the narrator says, you wouldn't ignore your hair on fire. Like, why would you ignore signs of heart disease? But anyway, so the point is, uh, this guy in the mikvah was assuring them that everything was okay, that uh, it, it, looked, it looks ugly, but everything is fine. He could, he has, he, he, everything is under control. They didn't believe him, so they called an ambulance. When the paramedics came, and they saw that he had uh, treated himself successfully, that everything was fine, he had, he had the situation on hand, they said, yeah, there's nothing left for me to do. He, he, he knows what he's doing. He's, uh, he has managed the situation. Everything's fine, he said. Uh, he I, I, there's nothing left for me to do. So now the question is, who pays for this? The ambulance billed 250 shekel. The person who called the ambulance says, what do you want from me? I thought this guy was dying. I feel he, looked like he, was, uh, he, was, he looked like he was dying. I have to call the ambulance. I should, why should I pay for this? And, the, and uh, the victim, in this case, the victim said, I told you I was fine. I told you explicitly, I told you I'm okay, so why did you call the ambulance? You should have listened to me. And the people said, we're not going to listen to you when you look like you're dying, and we have to call the ambulance. So, so what should we do? So the, so the Rabbi Zafrani says that this case was, was presented to Rav Zilberstein, Richard Zilberstein, and he says the people who called the ambulance were right, they were right and not relying on his claims that he's fine. When you see somebody who looks like he's bleeding out on the floor, you don't say, okay, you're fine, no problem. You know, we're, 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 we're glad you're okay. You don't do that. If you see somebody who looks like he's dying, you have to call an ambulance. And he himself is responsible. He shouldn't go around in places where, in public places where he might have these attacks without somehow verifying to people, making sure they understand his situation. He can't rely on on his explaining to them while he's bleeding on the floor that he's fine. It's his responsibility. He shouldn't do this. And therefore, it's not their responsibility because they, they did the only reasonable thing they could, which was to call the ambulance. It's his responsibility. He goes on for a couple of pages like this, but that is, that is the, the position both of, both of Rav Zilberstein and of Rabbi Zafrani. They say it's his fault. It's his fault. He says that he was the proximate cause of this. We can't blame the people for calling the ambulance. We could blame him. So, they say, so in their case, they, they actually felt they could blame the victim for, for going around in public places without taking precautions to make sure his situation was understood. The case of the smoke, I, I don't know if we can blame the guy for having the barbecue. I don't know if there's any reason for him to believe that his barbecue would be misunderstood as a, as a conflagration. So I'm not sure if there's any way to blame him. We can't blame anybody in that case, so I'm not sure if, if they would say the same thing or not. Yes? But you, you could blame him for... Probably a barbecue, right? Right outside. Yeah, the Zimcha says maybe we could blame him for having a barbecue. Maybe it's not normal to have barbecues. Obviously, it's like that. Like not normal to have a barbecue on a first, like on a, on like one of the highest floors. So maybe it's not normal. Maybe it's irresponsible to have a barbecue on the upper floor of a building. I, you'd have to look at custom and and custom not in the U.S. but in Eretz Israel, wherever this case happened. You'd have to know whether such behavior is common to have barbecues on your marpeset on the high floors of buildings. Or not, I honestly have no idea whether it's common or not in, in these types of buildings. Again, it probably depends on the, on the locale. But in any event, the, 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 these are variations in the same basic case that we started with years ago that, 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 we, that we're talking about tonight. In a case where a person meant well, and a reasonable person in his situation, perhaps anybody would have thought this was the right, this was the right course of action. 
It turned out, unfortunately, it was not. So, that, that, so that's the question. That's the question. The, the, the halacha, the classic halacha, is not entirely clear on this point. There are some arguments and precedents both ways. Five years ago, we discussed a series of Svardik Shuvah on the topic where involving Shomrim, who, who went against best practices or went against their explicit instructions because in, in their judgment, this was the right thing to do. Uh, tonight, we're discussing cases where a person did what a reasonable person, not a Shomer necessarily, but a, just an Inishtalma, a person who was trying to be a good Samaritan and help the person he, who was the victim or he thought was the victim. Turned out he made things worse. He uh, turned out he actually caused, caused harm rather than good. So Resigalowitz is not entirely sure, but he goes back and forth at the end of his tshuva based on the Gemara of Ratzbeir of Shabbos is okay. Chazal gave dispensations for being a little more reckless and a little more, uh, a little, that when you're trying to help, Chazal allowed you to be a, a little less careful than you would have been otherwise. Ultimately, that's his conclusion that he feels is logical anyway. That is his conclusion that, 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 that we can't blame him for doing what he did. We're not going to hold him liable. Even though Adam Laulam, we're not going to hold him liable since he, was, since he was trying to help and he was doing what a reasonable person did. And that's similar to the position of Rabbi Zafrani and Rav Zilberstein in this case of the mikvah. I'm not sure exactly what Rav Zilberstein ruled. I don't remember what he ruled in the case of the barbecue, but you remember, Simcha, what he said in the case of the, what the halacha was in the case of the barbecue? I think it has to do with, like, that Okay, so Simcha thinks the fellow who made the barbecue has to pay, which which is similar similar to their ruling in the case of the. Right. So, so the way Simcha remembers it, the the Zilberstein's psak in the case of the barbecue is similar to the psak of him and Rabbi Zafrani in the case of the mikvah. What do you expect the people to do when they see a, when they see what looks like a building on fire? What do you expect the people to do when they see somebody uh, bleeding heavily on the floor? So the, and that ruling is congruent to that of Rabbi Segalowitz that if the person behaved reasonably in, in a given situation, even though it turned out he actually caused harm, but what was he supposed to do? He was trying to help. He was in a situation, certainly in those cases where they thought that it was a case of Bikuach Nefesh, but in Segalowitz's case, no Bikuach Nefesh, it's all money. He thought he was trying to help. He thought he's doing the fellow a big favor by, by appealing to the, to the son of the nobleman. It turned out he actually caused him substantial harm. But after Mr. Galowitz's opinion, he thinks that in such a case, because he was trying to help and he was doing what a reasonable person would have done in that situation, then uh, th- therefore he's potter despite the fact that he actually was the proximate cause of the harm.